welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. Welcome, friends, to episode 27 of the Vocal Freedom Podcast. My guest this week is touring musician, vocalist and pianist Emily Lynn. Emily's worked, performed and recorded with the band Thunder and has also shared the stage with the likes of Dame Cleo Lane, Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy and Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. For the last decade, she's been touring with the Australian Pink Floyd show, performing in countless arenas in London, Europe, America and Canada. She's also been a third of the vintage trio act The Rockabellas and can be hired as a soloist pianist for swanky entertainment when we're outside of these COVID times. Emily started learning violin with the Suzuki Method, trained with the National Youth Theatre and at Italia Conti and did her master's at Leeds College of Music. She works predominantly in the rock scene now. This life of tour buses, early flights, iconic worldwide stadium tours... However, some of her favourite gigs have been those in care homes, just seeing how her voice can affect people close up. I hope you enjoy this interesting conversation and welcome Emily Lynn to the podcast. Welcome to the show this week. We have the gorgeous Emily Lynn joining us from her home in Essex. In Essex. So yeah, never sure where you are in the world because you get to tour. But obviously with all this stuff with the pandemic, you've had to stop touring. So you were, were you on tour when this hit? Yeah, we were in amongst it. And I think that when we were um, travelling, when we were in the next city, the previous city that we were in, we heard that there were cases. <gasps> so it was like it was almost following us around. And then it got to the point where the management were like, right, let's get out of here. And, yeah. um, and then I think it was about a week after we got back maybe less. Um, yeah, we went straight into lockdown. Yeah, um, we were lucky. And then... And, everyone was kind of a little bit ill um oh there are certain people that were just having really you know sort all the symptoms and just stayed in for a while um well we did obviously because it's lockdown yeah. but a very a very dramatic kind of time and very uncertain and worrying and it still is so yeah. <laughs> were you were you overseas were you overseas when it when it yeah happens? we were yeah. in europe yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you got, but luckily you got back. Crazy, crazy times we're in. So yeah, yeah so my, so obviously the podcast being all about voice. Um, I've I've worked with you in the past. I wanted to uh, our listeners to to hear what it's like to be a touring musician, traveling the world with your with your group, and uh, playing to these massive stadium audiences and the exciting times that you've had. So you know, going back to the start, how would you describe your journey with your voice? I'd describe it as spicy. Ooh, I like this. Um, it's been um, quite, uh, there's been some progressive sidestepping. Um, so I had some classical training um, in Suzuki violin, which is like a teaching method, which embraces the total development of the child, learning from like their environment and listening. And I had a lot of musical theatre stuff going on with the National Youth Music Theatre, Theatre Train, Guildhall and Italia Conti. Um, and although my parents were both musicians, they wanted me to find my natural path, my own voice, rather than having potentially a ro- the wrong kind of training. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and in those days, the science of vocal technique wasn't known to us. So I think they struggled uh, to find me a teacher, like the right teacher. Mm. Um, nonetheless, to get into a conservatoire, um, you need some f- 
proper training. So I'd end up doing three grade eight exams. So I did the classical ABRSM, the pop London College exam, um, which had some jazz in it, I think, as well. And then the Trinity Musical Theatre one. Yeah. Um, and then I end up going to college and doing the popular music course and have been working predominantly in the rock scene. So I think vocally I've been through this journey exploring vocal qualities mm. quite unintentionally and I think that's helped me get the work that I've got along the way but my relationship with my voice has also been a journey with touring and stuff physical and mental and um, every day being different in a different place and going through my routines and getting myself ready for each show so yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. So in your early days, what was school like? Did you get any training in like even just going back to sort of pre pre adult training? Were you a, were you a happy musician little kid? You know, was it music? Was it your destiny from the beginning? Well, um, my dad was a professional classical musician, so it was just what we did. Yeah, it was just completely normal. My dad kept an Emily box when I was young, and he got it out. And um, when I was sixteen, when you leave school, you had to write like a little thing about what you want to do when you're older. And I'd written in there, "I just want to sing and travel." Oh wow! So um, yeah, I've nailed it. Really, you've nailed it. You've, <laughs> you've set out what you meant to do. That's incredible. I mean, it's so cool because most people, I mean, most sixteen-year-olds. You probably won't <laughs> read that years later and go, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, amazing. So um, along the way then, is there anything you can sort of tell us, you know, tell the listeners about what that's like, the touring musician lifestyle and, you know, what's a typical day like normally? Um, my whole day like revolves around getting my voice ready for the show. So I do get up earlier than most uh, musicians, not too early so that I'm tired yeah. come the show time. But I just I like to get up and practice a piano go out for a walk get some exercise and then you know make sure I eat all the right stuff and we have chefs as well so that's possible and you know steaming warming up warming down just everything and then the full warm-up before the show that's mm. really important and I think I've worked with so many singers that just don't warm up and I just find it baffling because I, I couldn't do it yeah, unless I, I did my warm-ups mm. and they're sort of you know tailored by my singing teacher mm. and I honestly believe that they're they're the that's the, pr the process that I have to go through that's the thing that gets me through the whole tour yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's really important isn't it I don't know I don't know how anyone can do I guess it's you know, some I think some larynxes are more robust than others, aren't they? I mean, certainly some people can seemingly get away with it for years yeah. and years and years. But who knows? Maybe it will catch up with them in, at some stage. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for warming up the voice. It's just it's less likely to go wrong. It's less likely to get injured. It's mm. like any other part of the body. It's muscular. We want to make sure those muscles are flexible. So it's really vital. So but even men, but even mentally, it's just get your mind ready. If I do my warm ups, I know in my mind that I am ready. Yeah. You know. And of course, if you haven't, then you might have a little voice in your head going, I'm not ready. And it's, you know, yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. do this because, yeah, yeah, potential. <laughs> Amazing. So, is there anything that you now know that you wish that you'd learned earlier? Loads of things, basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a, let's have a listen. Um, uh, well, I wish that I'd known about formal training early doors. I wish that I'd had, you know, the steel training when I was younger. When did the steel come out? Because well, I still, I think Joe still really came over in the 1990s, but it, I mean, the model as it's known now wasn't complete till 2004. Right. Yeah. So I was two, when I first started, it must've been the year 2000, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a little so pre, a little bit pre. It wasn't really, yeah, it really wasn't kind of around, even mm. though I'd been to 
after that, I'd been to, you know, Italia Conti. I didn't learn any, and that was a vocal diploma. So yeah. I didn't learn any um, still there. So, yeah, I wish I'd have had proper formal training. Um, I wish I'd have known about my core values and um, created a belief in affirmation system so that it could protect myself mentally. Um, certainly touring musicians. I mean, they're sort of renowned for sort of a lot of me- mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, crew as well. So I wish I'd have had that. And I wish that I'd have known the importance of practice because I've realised since learning the piano that it, I've realised that just how much better you can get every day. And I don't think I was mature enough to monitor it in that way when I was younger. Yeah. Um, so now when I can see that I'm better at something today than I was yesterday, I just don't think I would have realised that, where, um, you know, going back when I was a, you know, early 20s or whatever. Yeah, it, make, it makes sense. I think that actually that's really normal, isn't it? Because when you're younger, you just, if you can do something, you just hope that it's just going to be there every time you go to do it. Um, But that, like you're saying, noticing the progression and how you can develop your technique really comes, I think, when people, I think that's pretty normal. I don't think I'd really got into practicing until I was in my 30s as well, because it was more, if you've you've always been able to do something and you don't find it difficult, then you just assume that you're all right at it already, don't you? (laughs) There's an element of that, without being any sort of arrogant about it, you just (laughs) trust that your voice is going to work. But then I think when, like yourself, when you get into the real profession and you've got to, you're on that treadmill of, of show after show after show and you're having to go through whether you've got a bit of a cold or not, you know, you've got to sort of negotiate working with your voice that day um, and getting the, the most out of it. That's where that, that practice and progression can have, have really benefited you, isn't it? Absolutely. Just yeah. um, being mindful about what, where you're at each day because mm. every day is different. Yeah. Um, and um, and managing that, I think. Light bulb moments, Emily. What about any sort of like within either within your, your sort of training days or, or since? So I think throughout this whole journey, um, like a lot of musicians, I've suffered with some anxieties based around performance. Um, and I've never been a natural performer. If I could live in the studio, I would. And being on stage is kind of like a bit of a byproduct of what I actually enjoy. Um, I've been a bit of a jack of all trades and I've never really fit any anywhere vocally. I've never been vocally rocky enough as people or poppy enough for somebody or not musical theatre enough. But there was a moment or there have been moments when I've been on stage, at, um, like in an arena in Canada or the Royal Albert Hall touring with one of my favourite bands. And then I've realised, hold on, I am enough. My voice is good enough to do this. And I've been working full time as a musician since finishing my master's degree. So that really was like a light bulb moment to be like, oh, hold on a minute. I'm actually doing all right here. So that was the moment, I think. That's a really good observation. So there was, you can slightly let go of some of those anxieties when you kind Mm. of give yourself permission to go, hang on a minute. I'm I'm doing it what am I worried about (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool that's really cool so what do you find most valuable now in caring for your voice just my routine mainly my touring routine and that's got to be absolutely paramount it's just so important and um anybody who tours will 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 know that um it does take a massive strain on your voice especially if you're if you're touring with high-end um artists you're flying everywhere I think it's worse but if you're on a tour bus it's a little easier because you can just go to bed. You don't have to get up for early flights. You can sleep in as late as you want. You know, sound checks at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And I just feel, yeah, vocally, my 
my voice has really suffered over the last 10 years. Um, and it's, there's been some real dark moments where I thought this could possibly be the end. Gosh. Um, and um, thankfully, with all the help that I've had from various singing teachers, doctors, everything along the way, I've just, um, I've come out the, uh, the other end. And I think it's made me stronger and, and more knowledgeable about how my voice works. Um, and so I can help other, stu- uh, you know, students as well. So yeah. yeah, it's really nice. That's really cool. So let's get a bit philosophical then. <laughs> what does your voice mean to you? Well, I think in a way, it means to me what it means to somebody else. And what I mean by that is that um, my, some of my favourite gigs are in care homes and seeing the, fe- the effect of the vo- that the voice can have on people is quite overwhelming and um, extremely rewarding, that's for sure. And in the same way, with Ozzy Floyd singing Great Gig, a song about the process of dying, um, how the voice can express the acceptance of death and how that connects with people is quite just spiritual. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, philosophical, like you say. But um, in other ways, in a cold kind of sense, um, my voice means that it's just a tool to work my own hours and make a living. Yeah, it's that too. You're right. You know, That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. And it's free. Yeah, that <laughs> gives you the freedom yeah. to work your own yeah way and within the the vast world of all the music that you enjoy singing and listening to what other voices out there inspire you um there's just so many I actually wrote a list of all these singers but I mean the top four uh, at the moment are Stevie obviously he's just number one Frank McComb I love Jill Scott and um, I really like Leanna Havis at the moment. Her, her vibrato has gotten shorter or less wide um, since she first started, which I quite enjoy. But I think in terms of singers, the King singers, their voices, there's just something about those voices together. Yeah, they're an acapella group, an old school choral sounding voice. But um, it's something about so pure about those voices that I, I'm just fascinated with how uh, voices together can blend um the swingle singers in the same way um they've got very different voices and how they blend is just i just it's just amazing i mean i've worked with some singers uh, particularly a singer in um Aussie floyd and um, we've worked together for 10 years now um, on all sorts of different projects and sometimes when i listen to recordings i don't know whether it's her or me wow um, and it's the, uh, the blend. we've got such different voices how does that work <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, we could get into deep acoustics here, couldn't we? But I mean, in terms of blending, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go there. This is all about you. <laughs> so those are the voices. Like, yeah, go on. Tell me who you are. No, I also like um, Jacob Collier's voice, not particularly the singing or his, you know, ability to harmonise. Um, it's his teaching. It's like when he speaks, his vocal tone is quite pleasing to listen to. And I think it's just easy to learn and listen to somebody who expresses himself in such a way. And um, yeah, he's just so warm and loving. I just love the sound of his voice. That's really cool. Yeah, some voices, even just spoken voices, can be, you can yeah. just really speak to you, and they can just really, really resonate in a certain way that, that brings yeah. you in, you know. Although although I've heard uh, somebody else describe his speaking voice as an English Kermit the Frog. So <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> So those and those are the voices that you just never tire of listening to. If you were sort of stuck on a plane and you've only got your, you know, th- three albums or something, you know. 
yeah lullaby goodnight my angel if i was stuck on a desert island that would be the one it's just it's so pure and there's it's just really plain really simple but just so beautiful and warming oh it's gorgeous i love that so why don't, why don't we tell our listeners about what you're up to now with your new business so aussie floyd obviously are, are staying um you know on the ground at the moment because there's no <laughs> yeah. way to go off and do more stadium tours right now so you've started a new business yeah well it's kind of new i've basically been doing it for the last I don't know, 10, 15 years, but I haven't really taken it seriously because I've had other work. Yes. Um, but if I do start touring, it's something that I can do while I'm on tour as well. Yeah. Um, and it's this 24-hour backing vocal service, um, but also I've done a bit of top-line writing as well. So people just send me tracks, and within 24 hours, they've got a full load of BVs, double, triple-tracked, um, yeah. with, without vibrato, any style, fully arranged. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, anybody who knows me knows I absolutely love BVs, and yeah. it's just so easy for me to just knock them out. Yes. <laughs> so it's just like quick, good, you know, and if I need somebody else, I, I've got, too many songs in 24 hours I've got like a team of, of singers that I use to to um to help me along the way or if there's an I got my boyfriend to sing some um low notes in uh, the Rosanna track the Toto track um, <laughs> they're just so low I can't reach them and he's not even a singer so uh, that yeah. worked out pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness for uh tuning yes <laughs> <on> logic <laughs> <laughs> oh that sounds really cool so I mean in terms of what do you think is going to happen next? What's going to happen with uh, with getting the band back together and getting out there? Well, we are fully booked for 102 shows next year wow. from January. But seeing as we've just heard the news, it's unlikely that's going to happen. It's quite you know upsetting for everyone. Everyone in our industry yeah. is suffering in some way or other. But we can just hope and make the most of of making a living online which I think you know we're both doing aren't we yeah you have to I mean this is the thing yeah it's just not safe to have people coming in and out of the studio at the minute so it's uh it's a crazy crazy time yeah was 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 the main lockdown for you sort of from from the end of March was that was that a, a nice rest in a way oh do you know what in terms of vocal rest yeah um I thought well this is going to be amazing but actually Kieran and I my boyfriend and I we did um we did um six 15 shows in 16 weeks we did a Friday night show for our friends and family but also for people that were on their own during lockdown and each each week would be themed and he I played um piano and sang and he sang played guitar and then there were like jokes and like little activities it's just entertainment I wore wore a different wig every week and and it was really interactive with everyone commenting and stuff and we had to we did a medley of like 30 songs every week as well so the, the prep the preparation for all of that um really took up a lot of our time and my voice felt so strong I just was like it doesn't even feel like this on tour it just felt I don't know what it was it was just the, the, the practice every day going through all these different songs was really great and Kieran found his guitar playing was getting better and yeah, it's just, it was actually really enjoyable. <laughs> I hate to say it, I, yeah. I actually really enjoyed the whole experience. It was just, uh, but obviously now it's taking its toll. The novelty's worn off. And yeah, <laughs> I think everyone's a little bit like, can't we just have real life back now? And yeah. So the concept of vocal freedom, Emily, what does that mean to you? So I think it means that after doing all the practice and all the exercises and all the rehearsals, Um, to being on stage having no doubt nothing in your mind but the music and 
being able to express everything naturally with no thought. So it's just like raw, authentic, pure singing. And that's definitely freedom for me. There's definitely some freedom in like the elasticity of, of a voice. So like somebody like Jessie J, her voice to me is just like an elastic band. Yeah. And that to me is just completely free. You can do absolutely everything. But mainly, yeah, it's, it's the thing about having this no, this completely blank mind. And all it is is just the music and and it's something I'm I'm always trying to achieve, and yeah, not always um, achieving it. So yes, but it's difficult to get out of your own way sometimes, isn't it? And especially when mm. you've got so much on your plate, and the stakes are high, and you're in these mm. these massive big gigs, which I've I've never done anything as big as that in my career. But you know what? Give us some stories. You must have had some amazing massive like big shows. What's been your favourite memories of some of the big tours that you've been on? Well, my favourite memory <clears throat> probably was um, when we first played Hammersmith Apollo. We played bigger venues. It was just that this venue, it was the first time my parents had seen a rock gig. They didn't really know anything about Pink Floyd. And to be honest, I didn't know much about Pink Floyd in my audition either. <laughs> I should have really researched that. Um, for many years as a child, I'd go and see my dad at the opera and, and he'd wave up at me in the pit and I'd wave down. And then when he came to see me at Hammersmith Apollo on the first year that I joined... Um, I was waving up at him and he was waving down. Oh. And so we were just like, our eyes were oh. streaming. And it was just such an amazing, proud moment for us both. So we've done like big gigs and, you know, um, amazing gigs and unusual gigs. But for some reason, it's just, it's not really where it is. It's like a feeling that you've got when you're there mm. um, or something that happened that day or, um, yeah. So, and there's another one, I think, I think my granddad sadly passed away the day we were we were playing um, V Fest, and um, we had to sing "Great Gig in the Sky," which is of course about death. And and um, I don't think I've ever sung it as 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 true as I did that day. Wow! Um, and afterwards, we went to do our bow, and um, I was just like held it together and just burst into tears straight on the bow. Everyone could see me, and then we were we were bowing, and then uh, the other singer was like kept on bowing and I was like right, let's get off get off the side <laughs> so like, they're oh, gonna see <laughs> mascara mascara yeah oh gosh oh yeah. my god though but what a trooper that you're still out there doing it when that was going on in your personal life oh, that's yeah, being but... a pro though isn't it you have to yeah I mean there's so many like there's such you know dramas when you're on tour and lots of stuff going on um but yeah the show must go on and um that's so cheesy that I've said that but it's, it's true. true it doesn't matter <laughs> no one cares what you've got going on just yeah. gotta get up there and do it and then moan about it afterwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> so have you got any favorite venues around the world that you've played I mean you must have you know you've been in these big big stadiums across America and Canada and and Europe Where, where's your favorite um, place I think the Royal Albert Hall, which is the one that we did last year, that was quite special just because it's the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Um, however, like again, we've played bigger venues than that. And there's probably there's probably um a venue in Canada that we did, Montreal, I think it was. Mm. Uh, and that was huge. And I just I think it was the, one of the first times we we sang a Great Gig in the Sky as well. Um, so we were just hyped. And um, coming off stage, I mean, we were just buzzing to the point where I was actually shaking. Wow. Um, and uh, and it's like that every night. You know, everyone thinks, oh, don't you get bored of singing the same songs every night? And it because it is so different every night. It's mm. how you feel. It's just it is so different that we never get bored and we always get nervous. 
when I say we, me and this other particular singer, I think it's because we care about it so much. We want to do the best job we can all the time. Yeah. Not just for the audience, but for our bandmates as well. You know, we just want to make it right all the time. And I think, again, that's just that's being professional and and having a long career is people noticing your contributions to their project, you know, or their band. So, yeah. And so backing vocals, that's still, that's your passion. That's where you, you identify yourself in the world. That's where you want to be. Do you ever see yourself going forward into the, the, you know, the, at the front of the stage? You don't see it. I just, I'm just not a natural front person. I just want to chill with the guys at the back, sing some (laughs) boos and ahs, sort out all the vocal harmonies, you know, if I'm a section leader or whatever. Yeah. Um, and um and give all the hard bvs to another singer so i'm just chilling on the low part <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the great thing about doing your own arrangements right so you can give yourself yeah. the bits that are easiest for you yeah <laughs> well, i just think others. it's the same as like you know you have a trumpet section in a jazz band yeah and you get that one guy at the end that does all the squealy um crazy soloing but then you've got the other ones that just padding it out and sort of relatively chilling that's the same and it's not that they're one's a better musician as the than the other it's just that we've all got different strengths and my strength is definitely in vocal arranging and and um sorting it all out yeah <laughs> whereas others um are just really amazing natural singers it's brilliant that you've you've identified your strengths and you know where you know you know yourself enough to go this is what I'm good at I'm going to stick to this but yeah, yeah I do hope that you I mean what you were talking about before we got on the podcast was the power of practice wasn't it yeah and how you've yeah. noticed that that regular practice and what you were doing with Kieran in, in your shows in lockdown mm. there going over things and actually, I think the fact that you, was, that you were going over things in your home setting without the journeying, without the traveling, the planes, this, that and the yeah. other, you were so in a, in a place of comfort that it all came out really well. Oh, it really did. I can't tell you how different my voice was um, singing. I was singing more. And then obviously, because I was singing, recording backing vocals for people, I was pretty much singing all day. Yeah. Um, or it felt like it. And um, and I've, I, I, my voice was so strong in areas that I just didn't, I didn't have before all like my bridges were just like smoothed over and I was singing in this like mix register that it just Mm. felt really strong and I was like what on earth is going on here why can't this be like this when I'm on tour hopefully it will be now maybe it will be now maybe there's just something that's like that's just connected for you and you're like that's Mm. where I'm gonna put it because I remember we had that experience with you at my piano once didn't we yes and you were like what is this how have I done this I want to do it again and it wasn't (laughs) it's but now you've got it there it's yeah, working. well, I mean, you know, saying that it's been a few weeks since we've done um, those those shows on Facebook. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah the voice can <laughs> yeah. tell us so much about the rest of the body mm. uh, and, and then and even other tensions creeping in, you know, problems with other areas of the body can creep into the voice. Definitely. It's int- it, I think that observation about your, you know, your the sort of freedom coming to you more in, in your home setting might just say how fatiguing all of that traveling is. Uh, just yeah. generally on the body and then the how that shows up in the voice yeah so. and all the the uh, air con I think air yeah. con is probably one of the worst because each bunk in our bus I mean bear in mind our bus is amazing it's like one of the best ones in the UK to use and um and but the each bunk has a like a like one of those things in the aeroplane you know the little uh air like a little vent yeah yeah. yeah and it's blowing so I'm there with my gaffer tape. <laughs> Stopping like it coming gaff- out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, they obviously want to keep you ventilated, but you don't want all that cold, dry air on, yeah, on your vocal yeah. folds. Yeah. And it has to be cold in there because of germs. You know, you just got to yeah. keep it 
You don't want it to be a sort of a, a breeding ground for germs. Yeah. That's what I was looking to say there. I think I've really annoyed my crew as well along the way, or certainly the musicians with doing my warm-ups every day on tour because, I mean, they just sound so, to, not, to normal people, they just sound <laughs> so ridiculous. And it's the same thing every day. I don't even switch it up. <laughs> oh, okay. This is pretty much the same thing. So I try and find a toilet somewhere out in the, you know, in the arena somewhere else and um, warm up in there. Yeah. So they can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you're doing it. It's so vital, isn't it? Mm, and you don't, you don't, often, you feel the difference if you don't, if you've skipped it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just an absolute must. So I just want to go back before we wrap up with the concept of vocal freedom and, and gigging and stuff. So I know that you're saying it's something you're striving towards and, you know, sometimes it's, it's tricky because things are on your mind. It's sometimes difficult to really be present in that moment. But can you think back to any of those shows you've done where, apart from the one with your granddad there, and that story was mm. obviously very moving there, but where you've just almost transcended in some way that you're singing and it's, you know, Yeah, I, 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 had, I know that those moments have happened um, on stage I know that they've happened, but I, I can't tell you which venue they are, but I know that I've had that feeling and it has felt euphoric. Yeah. And once you get to that point, it's just the most incredible feeling. I mean, no wonder right, real natural performers love doing it so much because that kind of buzz is, mm. you know, is just incredible. So, yeah, it, it, I do strive to to try and get to that moment. And I've, we've been, I've been meditating a lot on tour recently just being really mindful just really checking in with myself um and that has helped as well but yeah it's all a journey and um I feel like I'm getting a bit old for it all now but <gasps> I know, I, know. <laughs> you can't say that. I do I feel like I'm well it gets to a point doesn't it when you're you're thinking right well can I how long how long can I do this for you know you can't have kids and and, mm. and carry on doing it so I don't know. Not that I want kids right now, but, um, you know, these sorts of things cross your mind. Yeah, of course. And when I'm going to hang my shoes up and then what I'm going to do after that. So. Yeah. Well, certainly I think it sounds as if, you, you know, the the the, uh, the turnaround service, the BBs, that's obviously been really popular over lockdown and lots of business coming your way. So long may that continue. Hopefully, like you say, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And you can, you can broaden that out. You've already got a team under you. So if you're busy, other people can get that stuff done. And yeah. I'll also go to um, like a couple of conservatoires to sort of talk about being a female in the industry um, and being a singer on tour, just touring life in general. And that's quite nice. And that's been either, you know, via Zoom or, you know, Mm. before I'd go to the colleges. And that's been fun. I'm not great at public speaking but it's something I have to get used to I suppose that's interesting so when you're doing your your chats about being a woman in the industry have you battled anything from that I mean have you had any issues with well no it's just that when we're on tour and there's three girls and there's 30 guys yeah and I've never had a problem because you know I'm I'm quite um I don't know, a bit of a geezer bird, let's just, <laughs> that's the way I describe it. But it is very dominating sometimes with, with men. And, and I really enjoy it when I'm working with female musicians. I did a tour in January before I went on the, the Aussie Floyd tour with Heather Findlay. And um, along the way, there might have been about four or five girls um, involved in the project. And I was just looking around in the dressing room thinking, oh, it's so nice to be around women. Yeah. So, female musicians really good really just solid musicians and uh yeah I'd love to work with with women a little bit more 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see more more all female rock bands. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, oh, and I, I love that it. That would when... be amazing. And there's something nice about having a female instrumentalist in the band that isn't a singer. Obviously, I was doing BBs as well. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it does look quite cool. Um, so I always say when I talk to um, some students, um, I always say, look, if you're a female singer, it's worth picking up something something else, else. and it'll it'll kind of kind of put you above the other singers that don't play mm. and also I find that male instrumentalists take you more seriously as a singer if you do play an instrument or know about harmony or you know theory or whatever yeah um, it's like you get more respect in a way I don't know why I mean I'm, I've known about harmony and theory before I played the piano but now I can sit down on a piano and be like check this this out and they're like wow she plays the piano and yeah. I don't know what it is it just seemed to seem to like it yeah and then and then I did this tour playing the piano in January um for Heather Findlay and um it's my first ever piano singing tour and um yeah it's a, a real life changer for me oh it's brilliant so more of that in the future hopefully hopefully yeah well yeah. when things get back to normal which probably won't be anytime soon <laughs> oh, unfortunately I know it's a pain isn't it fun times think. you know fun times you've had there's just so many I mean, it's been 10 years of of almost like so, it has felt like solid touring I think it's like six seven months a year yeah spread across the year there's just so many stories and and I'm just now everything's stopped. I just feel so grateful yeah. to have had the ex that experience. Um, so if I didn't ever do it again, at least I've done it now. I could probably tell you, just trying to think of interesting stories. I could tell you it, like a, the rock and roll side. Yeah, go um, for it. <laughs> so, which doesn't really involve singing. Although actually it does, because we met a producer in Miami and he was recording an album. And he said, I really want you to sing on this album. So we went down on our day off and it was my birthday as well. So um, I got into the studio um, and I was just doing some pads, vocal pads. <clears throat> this song's called Solitude, by the way, by Dave Kersner. And, um, and he insisted that we did two shots of vodka before, before doing it. And I was like, alcohol before singing, never, literally never, would never do it. I'm dead against it but it was my birthday so I was like let's do it you know yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was 30 so it was yeah. a really big big a big one and I did it and then I don't know I just felt completely relaxed actually in the studio just a I bit quite nice and then um he'd arranged for us to have a boat so we all got out on this boat went out in Miami sailed around you know got really drunk and then we sailed up to Miami Keys and got off boat in someone's back garden and it was just this famous producer called Tom Lord Algy which everybody knows he, he's like he's basically mixed loads and loads of uh, live albums um in the 90s and stuff he's just amazing and his girlfriend was a party planner so she'd got a mixologist in to make Pink Floyd themed cocktails like brain damage and um uh, comfortably numb and things like that wow and so we had this massive party and his house was just incredible I mean it's got all of his gold discs he's got three Grammys and like it was just incredible and then we went to his studio and we we're listening to like um raw files so raw files from um, Queen and stuff wow and just hearing acapella vocals and obviously for me I was like wow I've never heard it like that and absolutely buzzing it was very very rock and roll yeah um but probably the probably best 
birthday I've ever had and it's my 30th birthday so that was oh that's amazing well, that's that a brilliant cool story one. I love that story thank you for sharing that with us I'm definitely keeping all of my sparkly sequin dresses forever oh, I'm not forever. getting rid of a single one yeah. um I just want my nieces to grow up and try them all on and, and be like I can't believe you used to wear this on. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool and you've got I mean when I I came to see you, um, the only time I didn't get to see you in Aussie Floyd, but I I got to see you in your trio. Is that still a project that's happening? Yeah, so Rockabillas is still going. They've been going for over ten years now. Sarah um, Lindsay runs and manages um, them. Obviously, things have gotten quiet over the last few months they normally get busy sort of around summertime or christmas time um, and a lot of the time i'm not around yeah. so there's kind of a team of about well, there used to be a team of about nine so um there were she could double up and send three here and three here and but yeah i haven't done very much but again that's something very very out of my comfort zone i'm really not into musical theater it's all a bit sort of jazz hands for me but vocally it really stretches stretches my ability it's like I have to sing really high really low in, in all these qualities um and everything is with dance moves yes and killer heels yeah so it's just it's it's a workout for sure definitely yeah I mean I came to see you in Sudbury I think it was and um you know the, the costumes the glamour you know and it wasn't like a massive stain or anything but no. it was just lovely to sort of it's just lovely to see three women working together killer harmonies you know great classic singing tunes as well I mean I thought the arrangements were really lovely yeah, um, and it was you know it was a, it really like a really entertaining night out and uh, yeah I mean <laughs> I, I did oh, the, the height of the microphone stands they were on stage before I, you started and I looked at my friend and said that's got to be Emily's one because it was about a foot yeah. taller than the other two Two yeah. It was brilliant. I, know, I don't know why they just don't give me different shoes. Yeah, I, I was going to say you could be in flats and you'd be about the same height, maybe. It's been the bane of my my musical career being tall. It's just you just stick out. You don't blend in in any way, um, and you have to wear heels. It's like you have to. You can't just wear flats. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. How um, tall are you? Um, I'm five ten and a half, but in heels, it's like a good six foot. Six foot woman. Yeah. Amazing. At least. It um, hasn't held you back, though. It hasn't stopped you. No, it hasn't. No. Um, and maybe it's worked to my um, to my favour, being stood standing out, maybe. Yeah. Um, um, I'm certainly taller than pretty much everyone on tour when I've got my heels on. And the men. <laughs> and the men. And yeah, the men. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, but um, that's what I like about the Rockabillas, though, is that it's just something completely different. Um, and a gig's a gig. You yeah. know, I treat everything exactly the same, whether you're in a stadium or whether you're in a pub or a wedding. Or I did a gig in a double garage down my parents' road once and I was so nervous. But I just treated it as a proper gig. You know, I yeah, didn't absolutely. do anything less. And um, yeah, you never know. Absolutely, you never know who's that's watching, radical. and yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely true. But that's that that's the mindset of a professional. You've you've everything is worth your best. Yeah, every my day. dad's got some amazing stories. Actually, he was telling me the other day we were listening to the Star Wars original LP, Star Wars um, album, and he obviously being a trombonist, he knows the trombone player, and he obviously has played on 
he's playing in some of the biggest orchestras and he's obviously on this Star Wars album. But he came to visit me when I was at college in Leeds and we went down the uh, German beer market and he was only just sitting in the corner with a beer playing in the Oompa band. And I just thought that's a classic example of how you should treat a gig as a gig. Yeah. It's just, you know, no snobby, oh, I, can't, I won't do that anymore because I've done that. You know, none yeah. of that. No. Do we get paid? Yeah, absolutely. And I th- you're right. I mean, I suppose you can, you know, some people might get a bit more choosy about things as they as they get more experience but ultimately any like you say anytime you're in front of an audience why treat it any differently if it's five people or 500 or 500,000 people you know it's, yeah it's and it, I treat it as a as practice as well just being in front of each other try something new out that you wouldn't normally try out if you're a play you know doing a stadium or yeah. um, try a different song out that you've never done before and um yeah so I'm gonna say thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for having me I really appreciate it (laughs) it's been really lovely to hear about what what, what the world is like with you and you know um long may it continue so thanks so much Lee really appreciate it thank you for joining me on the vocal freedom podcast I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.